Welcome to the VIP Jazzwall Report. I bet some of you at some point have watched a reality show in some shape or form. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always wanted to know what really happens behind the scenes in these shows. Reality shows have mushroomed in the last few years. There's a reality show on everything and everybody, from desperate housewives arguing desperately about their dilemmas on what to wear for the next lunch, to watching a bunch of young people behave in a bizarre and even frivolous way on the Jersey Shore. In fact, most of these shows seem to be based on two fundamental concepts, one being the measure of how low one can intellectually succumb themselves to, and the other being a test of how flexible their moral standards can be stretched when faced with the daunting task of achieving TV ratings. But have you ever wondered how these shows are made and what it takes to get on them and what really goes on behind the scenes? Is everything as real as it seems? Well, I thought I'd get some answers about a reality show that has some more intellectual substance to their content compared to other shows that we see on TV. Today we have the inside information on what goes on from our guest who's been on the reality television series called Shark Tank, which features aspiring entrepreneurs pitching their business ideas to a panel of potential investors. Our guest today is Brian Altamar and was one of the contestants of Shark Tank who pitched the concept of a door-to-door luggage shipping service for travelers that wanted to send their luggage ahead of time. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get right into it. How did you get accepted for Shark Tank? Well, funny thing, actually, I applied years ago uh, mm-hmm. to the show but never heard back. Right. Uh, and then in April 2012, I had a few missed calls from uh, a guy from Shark Tank, never left the message, was a little vague, so I really didn't think anything of it. And then in May, I uh, finally got me on the line uh, while I was working in New York City uh, right. out of our apartment slash uh, home office. Mm-hmm. And I uh, feel up on my desk, slippers, uh, and he said he was calling because he saw us on Urban Daddy uh, website and thought we had a brilliant idea. So I went right in uh, to a five-minute pitch, my personal story, the journey, uh, you know, for the company, uh, and what made Lugless so really uh, amazing. Uh, he loved it uh, and asked me to fill out a, a document uh, for the application and do a five-minute video. Uh, and then I submitted that the week prior, the week after. What was in the document? A uh, bunch of, you know, Questions about the business, how many partners, um, basically a rundown of what the the business was, um, you know, the ownership breakdown, uh, and then just a few legal clauses that we couldn't talk about the show, even though we're not on it yet, that they just wanted us to have confidentiality. Uh, so that was really kind of the gist of that 28 pages from what I remember. Now, you said you had first applied for the show. How did you find out or where did you go to apply? Where, where can one go to apply to these shows? Sure. Yeah, at that time, it was, a, it was their website. Uh, one of my uh, cousins actually said, you know what? There's a great new show on ABC, Shark Tank. You would be perfect for it. You should apply. So I applied, uh, but that was it. I only did it once. I think it was the first or second season. Uh, and then just, you know, never really thought anything of it. So now you've sent in, you filled in the forms, you've signed the confidentiality agreement. It goes off. You sent in your five-minute video. What did you say in the video? What, what, what did you talk about? Yeah, they, they had set questions, and they wanted uh, set answers. Well, not set answers, but set uh, limits to how long you can answer. Uh, just personal questions about your history, uh, about your entrepreneurial career, your business, um, things about yourself. So they wanted to really get um, an idea of how you, I guess, came across on camera, but also just what you were like uh, as you know, uh, a human being to see if it would be you know, good for, for TV. So eye candy, as it were. 
I guess. I mean, I don't know if it's that. I think they have all walks of life and all different types of, um, you know, entrepreneurs on there. So I'm sure they have their uh, their molds that they have, and I'm sure I fit into one of them. <laughs> and then after that, then what's the process? What what happens after that? Sure. And then after that, uh, we waited till I think July. Actually, um, we were. Uh, given a phone call uh, to say that we were accepted as a semifinalist. Uh, and then from there, we had a, another document. It was a participation agreement, and that one was 48 pages. Uh, and that was a little bit more intense, and that was actually something that um, we weren't sure we were going to sign because of all the clauses that were in there. Okay, two things. Did you take this document to a lawyer? Uh, we did. We have we had you know a counsel that was uh, part of our company, so it, it passed the vetting process of you know, the legal side. It was just, is this in the best interest of our business? Okay, so tell me about what what was sort of food for thought when you were looking at some of these clauses. Sure. Uh, for us, uh, some of them was uh, you know definitely the the most important one was. Just if we got accepted uh, to go on the show and aired, uh, despite getting a deal or no deal, uh, immediately, just by appearing, uh, the show would receive uh, either a 5% equity uh, stake in the company or 2% uh, of royalty each year. And they could decide uh, at any point which one they wanted based on which one they thought might be higher. And uh, I believe that's for the duration of the company um, is my understanding at this point. For the duration of the life of the company, yeah. From regardless of whether you come on the show or not, regard no. If you come on the show, that's the only time that they they activate that. But if you don't get a deal or a deal, it's all the same. Just by appearing uh, and having your likeness on the show, uh, and you know using their platform to reach millions of people, they put those clauses in there for the show. So I mean, interesting. I think. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm trying to find a, a, a word for it that I am. I, is that ethical? I mean, if I go to the bank asking for a loan, um, I'm not going to be paying a fee for just asking. I pay a fee once I get the loan. Yeah, I mean, I think it's twofold. I think for them, it's a good business model, obviously, for the show. If they don't make it past a few more seasons, they'll be... Oh, it's a brilliant business everything. model. I'm just wondering, is it ethical? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. A lot of them are startups, so, you know... It's uh, definitely uh, hard to swallow giving away, you know, five percent of a company. Uh, if it could be a really big company, that five percent just for appearing for, you know, one or two times on reruns, it's a pretty uh, large amount um, that they'll be getting. Uh, but so they get they get equity for nothing, whereas you're pitching your business for giving away equity in exchange for an investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that. Um I'm not sure if that's fair business practice, but hey, it works. Uh, because the way I, I mean, see it, if there were if there weren't any of you, they wouldn't have a show. No, I guess and, their and I argument that, yeah. is that they're pitching you to how many million people watch the show? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's seven million now. So, wow. and they have you know no void of. Uh, People applying. I mean, think uh, last year when I was on, uh, over 30,000 people applied. Mm-hmm. And then out of that, only 144 get asked to come to California to tape. And then out of that, only 96 air. So it's a really exclusive club if you think about it. So to get on, it's really just it's a good honor uh, and accomplishment. But, uh, you know, it, it, you have to really weigh it as a company. Is, you know, that amount of people seeing your idea or product uh, or service worth it? And for us, we kind of went back and forth and realized um, we don't have a million dollar marketing budget, so we're gonna we're gonna try this and hopefully you know it works out for us. Okay, now you add so they, now they own how much of your company? Two percent? Uh, well, we haven't uh, had the first year close, so I guess. Uh, what do you think they'll go year? for? 
I think probably this year, uh, since we're still growing, um, I'm sure they'll take the uh, the five percent uh, equity. Right. Now, what but who knows the year after? What were the other clauses that caused concern? Um, for us, we might have been a unique case. Uh, maybe we're not actually, but uh, I think we might be. Uh, we have other businesses that are part of Lugless, of a parent company. Right. So we weren't talking about those parent company, uh, the parent company, or any of the other uh, businesses. However, we couldn't splice off the LLC for Lugless uh, because of the ownership in our uh, operating agreement. So we had to clump all of the businesses that we own. So you think about it, it's definitely more intense for us, but we had to put them all together. And just because Lugless was appearing and it's under uh, Mad Travelers as our parent company, everything that Mad Travelers brings in, that equity or that royalty attaches to that. And that was just a function for our issue uh, and, and our business, but we couldn't separate it for legal reasons and just timing. So we really had to make a choice to go, we're all in. We think this is a $100 million idea, and we just have to hope uh, and pray that this is you know, a good uh, jumping off point and a good venue for us to start uh, with mass exposure. Okay, so now walk me through the process. You've signed the 48-page uh, participant agreement. Uh, you sent it in. What happened next? So from, from there, then they do a background check um, for the past 10 years. I mm-hmm. guess uh, for them, they want to just make sure that uh, you're employed and that you were employed where you said you were and just there's no criminal record anywhere. And you're not uh, so out on parole. Exactly. And for me, actually, I didn't. I had an issue with that for uh, a couple of weeks because I taught English in Prague, Czech Republic, and mm-hmm. the, the school that I taught at discarded their files. So there was no proof. So we, we worked around it, but it was interesting for two weeks just uh, hitting my head against the, the bedboard, just knowing that we weren't going to get uh, the, the proof that they needed. But it worked out. But after that, um, or during that, actually, you have a two-person producer team uh, from the show that call you one to two times a week. And what you do is most of the time you're you're really just going over your two-minute opening pitch. It's crucial. It's the most important part of your whole um, segment because you can't control what the sharks say or what they do or what you say. It's not scripted. This is the only time that you get to just say what you think you know your product is and how you think it's relevant. So everything so, boils down to those two minutes. Those two minutes, you grab the attention you know, of the audience and the sharks. You know, it's like an elevator. Do the sharks get to see your two-minute pitch before going on air? They don't. They they get. Uh, I don't think they do. No, they get no information and no, um, yeah, no no video or anything about us. So, I mean, you know, we compare it to an elevator pitch. You know, we really want it to be relevant for the listener, um, you know, and show that there's a problem in the travel space, how our idea is the solution, uh, and then how, you know, our business concept, when you boil it down, uh, you know, in 10 words or less, is easy to digest and easy to understand. And for us, uh, you know, that's crucial, and that's what we did for the two minutes. Our big line was, uh, simply put, Lugless is a travel agent for your luggage, which for us, brings us into context and makes it understandable what our business model is uh, for everyone that's, you know, listening or watching. So then you practiced it and and perfected the two-minute pitch to the uh, two-person producer team to their satisfaction? Yep, you do that, yep, as many times as possible. I mean, they instruct you to do it on your own. I've done it in, you know, multiple living rooms, bathrooms, street corners, family dinners, anywhere, car, uh, just practicing as much as possible to get the intonation down and also to be in stressful or awkward situations. Because it's, you know, I don't know if anyone, if you haven't been up on, uh, you know, TV, which I really hadn't uh, on that type of uh, platform, it's very intimidating uh, going up there. So I think they want you to over-rehearse so you kind of like an actor. Have it memorized no matter what other variables come into play, your own anxiety or just, you know, anything else that you can't control. 
So are you given a teleprompter when you actually go on air? Oh, absolutely not. I wish. That would have been wonderful. Um, there's nothing you get. You look right down at the sharks, and they just, you know, 15 feet away, and they just come at you. That's it. There's nothing uh, you get to help you out. Oh, so it's a real uh, battle scene. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so you finished your rehearsals, and you got it down to a pat. What happened after? Uh, and then from there, you kind of sit tight uh, because you're still a semifinalist and you don't know if you're going to be a finalist. Uh, and then we randomly got a call in August from a gentleman from the show telling us that we were finalists. Uh, had us call him back, give flight information. How did, you feel, when you, how did you feel when you uh, received that call? Uh, wow, it was, it was, I was actually walking uh, in Brooklyn, um, and uh, it was awesome. It was, it was really cool to, to know that we made it from you know, that, that first phone call uh, all the way to uh, being a finalist and being you know, asked to fly out and put you up and have you go in front of some, some pretty cool and uh, you know, successful entrepreneurs. It was, it was a great feeling. So then you flew out? Flew out, yeah, end of September. Uh-huh. Uh, they fly out for a few days. Right. Uh, the way it works is you have a pre-pitch. You don't just go up there and just automatically, you know, you get in there and pitch the sharks. They have a orientation session with everyone else, and then each contestant has to pre-pitch with their full set that they have that they're going to, you know, be presenting with their uh, exact outfit in front of the cameras. Uh, and a 25-person producer team listens to you pitch. And if you pass, uh, you know, there, then you get the green light in a day or two to actually pitch live to the sharks. And that's so the sharks are not involved in, in filtering this process. They're only involved yeah. at the very end. Exactly. That's, yep, that's uh, how it works for them. Wow. So then when you, um, you, you got to L.A. and, and then you, you, you pitched to the 25 people, mm-hmm. they narrowed you down further after that? Yeah, they they gave uh, you know they they gave a few uh, pieces of uh, you know fee- I guess feedback on what I should do, but mm-hmm. they said overall great job, you're ready to go, and that was it. Uh, I got the the text from my producer, and basically said enjoy your next day, relax, uh, you know eat up and, and and sleep, and you'll be on you know such and such day at mm-hmm. this hour, and we'll pick you up at the lobby, and that's how it went. Uh, they took you from the lobby to the dressing room, and you spent a few hours by yourself uh, in a room, just kind of waiting uh, for when they're going to pull you. And put you on. So it's got television, all relaxed room, and you're by yourself. By yourself, and then from there, um, you know, you get some uh, hair and makeup done, uh, and then you know they mic you up, and then from there you just sit tight until they grab you, and then you're going right there backstage, uh, where you're basically waiting behind a, uh, a black curtain room, uh, and you can't really see anything outside, but you can hear and discern uh, someone pitching. You don't really know what they're, they're saying. Uh, and then you kind of, in my head at least, I heard the ominous uh, intro music that uh, people know when you hear that show. So it's pretty intimidating as you wait to you know, get your chance to go on. Do you think it's purposely set up? Because the way you're describing it, uh, it's a black curtain room. Uh, you're by yourself. Your, um, you know, th- th- this ominous music. Uh, is it a test of your resilience? You think when you look back? Yeah, I, it definitely is. I, I think they set the show up from start to finish to be a very serious show to get onto and to take it serious and to see how much pressure and how much. Um, I guess, stress you can handle and still be able to go up there and give, you know, the best performance, so to speak, uh, or pitch uh, that you can. So, yeah, I I think that's part of the the psychology uh, of the show. Definitely has, I think, a strong element of that. How were you finding it? Uh, How were you 
approaching it mentally during this time? I mean, during that time, um, I was probably, uh, I mean, I was having, you know, I was very nervous. <laughs> I was very scared of, of what was about to come because mm-hmm. I, I wished this upon myself. So I was somehow, you know, in the back of my head, not regretting, but saying to myself, you know, that, negative voice going, maybe we shouldn't have done this. Maybe this, uh, we weren't ready for an experience like this. But um, once you go out there uh, the first time uh, and see the set uh, and the, uh, you know, the sharks, it's still scary, but it's pretty surreal. So I think that surrealness um, trumps any, any of that initial, you know, fear of not wanting to be there. It's just you have to stay as confident as you can without letting anyone know how real, you know, nervous you are inside. So can you share your feelings uh, when you're in, the, in, in this room? Uh, is there someone that guides you? There's a, yeah, we had a producer that comes in and out. You know, my, my team, they would come and say, you know, how are you? Let's mm-hmm. go over your pitch again. Uh, so they, they did guide and help and try to boost your confidence and, you know, get you in the, the mindset and get you ready. Right. Um, so, they, you know, you're not completely alone, but, you know, you're there alone enough to, to make you think and ponder. But there is support there, which is nice. I've heard rumors that um, they provide you with some sort of a, a mental therapist. Is that true? Uh, they do, actually. In the, uh, before the show, uh, mm-hmm. before you go on, someone comes into your dressing room and does just an overview, talks to you, states why they're here, what their purpose is, and to just make sure that you're in a, you know, a good state of mind. Uh, they're not providing you with the horse tranquilizers or anything like that? No, I, I might have taken something if uh, I was offered, <laughs> but... <laughs> I, uh, you know, nothing like that. So then after that, I mean, I was, for me, I thought it was funny. I actually laughed at her and I go, wow, I, you know, I don't really need you here, but it's kind of funny. What could go wrong? I mean, me thinking what could go wrong because I you know, didn't think it would be what it was. And then after, <laughs> that was uh, extremely intense. I so was, now we're at the point where you're about to go on. Yeah. So you've, your producers come, got you from the, the, the black room, uh, and now you're standing 15 feet away from the sharks. Yep, you stand there, uh, and then you kind of look at your set and then go back. And then when they give you the cue, you, the doors open, music plays, I think. It might have just been in my head, who knows at that point. But you go right out, right. and you stand on your mark, and they make you stand there for two to three minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's for all the cameras. So you're staring down the sharks, which is surreal uh, for me. And then they're kind of looking at each other. Cuban was looking at Damon and they were snickering, looking down, looking up, you know, kind of sizing you up. And you just had to stand there. Nothing you could do except kind of smile, but look serious and that you were ready to, to fight. And then the producer, you know, gives you the signal and then you go right into your, you know, your pitch that they, they basically, you know, have you crafted for. So you go right in there. And from there, uh, you're off and running. So there's no, if you cough or anything like that, they don't cut you and then say, start again. No. I mean, if anyone who's listening and watches the show, some people actually freeze up. I mean, one guy actually, you know, a few, uh, few minutes in, just forgot what he was going to say. Uh, and they, there's no edit. I mean, they, I guess they maybe hope for that in certain cases. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, there's no editing for that. Your pitch is your pitch. They don't touch it. And uh, that's the pitch that they present. So from this black room, you come to this marker, you're 15 feet away, they make you wait for two, three minutes while they position you and you're meant to have eye-to-eye contact. Are the producers telling you to do this? They're telling you, yeah, I mean, they say basically... It's like the schoolyard bully syndrome. You know, you've got to look at them in the eye because they're looking at you in the eye, ready to pounce. To some extent, yeah. I think they they did tell, as I recollect. They said, look at them, you know, you can smirk a little, uh, whatever you'd like, but just, you know, remain there, look forward, straight, and wait for the producer to give you, you know, your call to to go live. 
Wow. And then, you know, for me, I, you know, it's, it was, I went three lines in uh, to the initial pitch. Yep. And then I, I actually took a deep breath. And uh, I had such a wave of anxiety. I was terrified. I thought I was having a panic attack. And thank God, I just held the breath. And I memorized everything so well that I was able to release and just go forward with the pitch that I had prepared without any hesitation, without a change in the intonation that I practiced. So I was thankful for that. But that was a scary moment for me, you know, being uh, – 30 seconds in and going, oh, you know, geez, now now this could go awfully wrong. But So that two minutes can be a very long time when you're actually in the, in the situation. Yeah, it, it, it definitely was. Felt a lot longer. So now while you're giving this pitch, are they looking at you or do, are, are they trying to psych you out by sort of, you know, drinking something or looking away or what are they doing now they they're full attention so you're you're in the you know hyper mode and mm-hmm. you're you're fully you know jacked up and you're into it and they're looking right at you and you're trying to to win them over and you're trying to be as energetic as you can informative clear uh right to the point uh and then after it's done then that's you know when the the flood opens and the attacks you know what they do and they they start you know questioning you and how were the questions? How did you manage that? I mean, the questions, it was twofold. Uh, the business questions about the business model, what we did, uh, I, you know, I was pretty comfortable with that. I practiced long and hard about right. that. Um, and, you know, they had a few questions there on the business side that didn't agree with. They didn't really get the points that we were doing. Mm-hmm. However, the personal side, uh, I, I was ready for it. But I think anyone, or at least, you know, I would think enough people uh, being in a position when they, you know, have personal questions about your past, what you've done, um, and you think it's a great story, you know, you've, you know, gone from, you know, having nothing or losing everything and then trying to rebuild, mm-hmm. they kind of snickered at some of those things and made a, a big hoopla out of a few things that, you know, I had some debt from uh, a company that I had in the past that I moved to uh, a cabin in the wilderness, which I did to kind of regroup. I thought that was a great part of the story. They didn't so much. So that for me, um, I always liked, you know, I liked the idea at least before, you know, that happened that that was why I was on, you know, I fit the mold, as I said, of someone who's, you know, has... The American dream uh, incarnate that, you know, has gone from nothing or, or had stuff, gone to nothing, lost it, and fought back. And now I was in front of these people, you know, on a huge show with 7 million people. I was excited about that, and I thought that's what they would have gravitated towards. Unfortunately, they didn't. Um, but, thank, you know, thankfully, I guess, it, it really didn't get much airtime because they edit stuff. Uh, and they really focused on the business, which is, I think, the real strength, you know, of why we, you know, why we went on and, and what, um, you know, what transpired. Were you able in the background to advertise your company logo or? Yeah, what they do is you can't do .com. Uh, I don't know many different reasons. I'm sure they say just in case your your website changes to a porn site in a few years, they right. they don't promote that on any Disney or ABC network. I think it's probably for a different reason, but they allow your logo, no .com anywhere. So I purposely had my uh, shirt. I created a, a T-shirt that uh, had our logo right in the middle. So no matter where it was, if they weren't looking at the screen, which had our logo, anyone who looked at me uh, would see the logo. So I had tried to do the whole, you know, the whole thing with our logo, which I did. Hmm. Now, once the show uh, was done and, and the pitch and everything and you walked away, then w- what's the process there? 
So, yeah, you do. Once you're done pitching, you walk out after, you know, the last person, they take a deal or not. Uh, you say thank you and you walk around. And then from there, you do a quick recap of uh, the segment. And then uh, from there, they take you in a, a golf cart back to your dressing room and you pack up your stuff. And then actually the therapist comes there again, as I was saying, and does a, a quick uh, exit um, An exit you know, interview. interview. An exit interview with you. And that's before we I get to that, before we get to yeah, that, sure. now obviously um, you didn't get the investment from uh, the Sharks. But no. apart from reaching 7 million eyeballs, and obviously that's the biggest feature of, of wanting to be on Shark Tank, What was? did you have any other motivation? Um, I mean... Yeah, I mean, probably like a sense of adventure, I take it, if you're going to go through all this and still live to tell the tale. Yeah, I think it's a personality to be an entrepreneur, sometimes a pirate, as uh, I I, I think. Uh, So I love the adventure of going out there on the open seas. And that's, you know, kind of, for me personally, uh, I really wanted a chance uh, to to meet some successful entrepreneurs and see if I could hang uh, and see if I could pitch a business that I'm really passionate about in front, you know, as you say, in front of those 7 million people, uh, which is obviously huge for the business. But personally, uh, I really just... um, I wanted that chance to to prove that I was you know capable of going up against such a uh, you know ferocious uh, you know tank so to speak and pitch our idea and and get through it. Do they tell you right there and then whether they're going to invest or not, or do they sit and wait and say we'll get back to you in a month? No, they tell you right away. They tell you right. Uh, so you were obviously disappointed. I was very disappointed. Absolutely. What did you think that they didn't get? I mean, from, I thought, from you know, what you were trying to pitch. Sure. Um, I think a couple of things. I don't really think the Sharks really heard what I was saying regarding the business. Uh, I really don't think they understood the business model. I think they thought we were competing against major couriers, um, like a FedEx, for example. Uh, but I don't think they realized that we're assets to them and we work together. So I just don't think they understood the, the service that we were offering uh, and the scalability. So for me, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And then, uh, you know, obviously, you know, that none of the sharks bit uh, or even took a nibble uh, was definitely um, something I, I, I didn't expect. I really thought that at least one of them would see the, the huge potential, especially with the airline industry, uh, you know, as it is currently. Did you explain that to the therapist when you came back? I mean, obviously you were disappointed. Did you express your disappointment to him? I did. I, I did. I was very open and honest. I was very uh, displeased. You know, it was 45 minutes. You have to keep that in mind. Uh, and I think they, you know, people mention that. I don't know how every segment goes. But it's a long time to, to get all those questions out. And they ask you a lot of random things. And they, you know, put it all together. So I was just upset uh, from my perception. Again, I was in a hyper state, uh, obviously very sensitive to this whole personal, uh, you know, topic of my past and building my business and having it collapse and then starting over. So I was upset that, you know, they they kind of mocked it a little, snickered, and didn't really embrace it. So I told her that I was very upset with that, and I'd really now actually like my segment not to air. I actually told her, do whatever she has in her power to not make this air. That was actually what I said now that I remember. And I was hoping that she would listen and that I could just put this whole thing behind me because I'm something of a perfectionist, so I think I was, you know, I was hoping for something better than what uh, was presented, so I was really nervous what was going to come out. So, I, you know, so what did she say when you said, I don't want it to air? He said, I don't have that authority, but I can pass that along to the executive producer. I forgot his name. I said, right. please do. <laughs> you can call me if you'd like to chat. <laughs> so, um, and that was it. I left it there, uh, packed up my stuff, and they took me in a van to uh, the hotel. And I spent the night there. Um, 
I was definitely at the bar having a few drinks, and then uh, I flew out the next morning early back to New York. If you were to look back, what do you think was missing from your pitch? From my pitch? Um, I, mean, I would say a few different things. I mean, one, definitely, uh, I think I could have fought harder. Uh, so I don't know if it was missing, but I think I was so anxious and so uh, had so much anxiety just about that experience and just being a little intimidated that I fought back, but I definitely had more answers in my arsenal. I know I did. So I didn't fight back as hard as I think I would have uh, if you know I wasn't as nervous. So I think that's really the... The number one thing, and I also think what I did learn um, going, you know, now looking at it after going in, is that, you know, I learned that the entertainment, you know, trumps the business model on reality TV. I mean, for example, uh, you know, you have the producers that want a good show, drama. You have the sharks who want to build their personal brand and fame. And then you have, you know, someone like me, entrepreneur, who wants to promote his business. You know, so it's kind of... Well, that's a huge conflict of interest, you know. Yeah, and I, you know, I didn't see that going in. Uh, And then obviously I thought if the pitch was good enough... Uh, they would have to invest. I didn't take into account the idea of creating the drama for the viewers, despite a good pitch, you know, and at the time, um, you know, to, to see La Glass or, or us as the underdog is not something I wanted to do, but that's how it played out. So I think that actually is a positive that we were the underdog. I just was so lost in my own head that I had the gre- greatest thing since sliced bread that I didn't get the dynamics that I wanted to be the underdog. I should stay that way um, because that's what, you know, I think people love to see. And that's kind of how it played out. Well, now after it aired, taking things on a positive note, did you get extra mm-hmm. business from the show? Oh, absolutely. I mean, after it aired, I was very happy with uh, with what aired. Uh, so that was great. And the business in the first month alone went up uh, over 448% uh, in revenue. And each month it's been increasing. Uh, we had a record month last month. And uh, you know, we've about 400 customers is right now what we're averaging, which is for us very nice as a small business. So we're we're seeing some great growth uh, from being on the show. Well, you've pitched to the Shark Tank. I want you to pitch your company to our listeners. Uh, the whole concept of Lugless. So go shoot. Uh oh. All right. I can't <laughs> Um, so yeah, alrighty. So, alright, what is Lugless? As I said before, simply put, we're travel agents for your luggage. Uh, Lugless, door-to-door luggage shipping service for travelers that want to send their luggage ahead of time when they travel. Uh, and before I kind of get into Lugless, I mean, the reason, uh, it's important to discuss the, the current travel landscape is that there is a problem, uh, with tra- airline industry right now, and Lugless is definitely relevant in 2013. So, for example, I mean, since 9-11, airline travel has definitely changed for everyone. It's not as enjoyable to fly, and that's a fact. Um, and, you know, that's something that uh, I know um, is not uh, something that's positive for, for the airline industry. And also, I mean, the whole process for travelers. Uh, you know, imagine you go to the airport, you have to wait in a long, crowded check-in line, 15, 30 minutes just to drop your bag off, possibly incurring a baggage fee. If not, sometimes actually having to open up your bag to go under the limit. And then after that, uh, you know, you have uh, the airline baggage fees. Um, since 2008, they have risen drastically. Uh, prior to 2008, we wouldn't dream of paying for check luggage. However, now, uh, since 2008, they've gone from $600 million that year to right now, 2013, over $6 billion. I mean, I equate it to travelers that have slowly been conditioned, like a frog in boiling uh, water, to accept all these fees without question hesitation. Uh, and I think some airlines now, I mean, they're charging anywhere from 15 to $400 for a check bag. And some airlines are even charging for carry-ons. Uh, and then you have security. 
security going through. Uh, obviously, that's no fun for anyone. I hate taking off my shoes and my belt uh, and, you know, having a little less dignity as I pass through those doors, um, you know, not to mention taking out your laptop and having to put everything in a plastic bag that's a liquid. Um, yeah, you know, but Lugless is not going to be taking your shoes and belt, right? I'll need exactly. those to I mean, walk through. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the only thing you have to still do, but at least you don't have to worry about that bag and hold up the line and have to have TSA and, you know, sift through your items, which, you know, they do. And then, the, you know, two last things is baggage claim. I mean, another, you know, half, you know, 15 to a half hour waiting after, let's say, a six hour flight coast to coast with equally tired and weary people uh, that literally just want to go home, but they have to wait at this conveyor belt that, you know, to me, sometimes seems like a never-ending loop. Uh, and then lost luggage, which is part so of that. So you can just walk airline. in and walk out of the airport? That's it. You go, yeah, you go right in. That's uh, a tagline for you, walk in, walk out. Yeah. I you should go, give yeah, me 5% right of your out. company. Say that again? You should give me 5% of your company. Walk in, <laughs> walk out. That should be a tagline for Lugless. Um, so how does it work from scratch? I mean, uh, I'm going on holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if she's lucky, I might take my wife with me. Um, domestic, international. Let's say, uh, let's say domestic. Okay, so it does. It doesn't matter, but it's a little different. So if you're going domestic, both ways doesn't matter. International, domestic. You're going to call us, or nine times out of ten, people sign up online okay. uh, in less than five minutes. So really simple order process. Lugless.com is the website. It's really simple. Uh, so that's the process. You go through a f- uh, four-step process that it has you put in your pickup information, delivery information, uh, you know, first last name, email, and that's it. And you get a confirmation email, and you get your shipping labels via. Uh, email, but we also, to first-time customers, send them a packet in the mail prior to pickup, express, usually overnight, UPS, that has our reusable plastic luggage tags and the shipping labels already. So all the customer has to do is open up the packet, place the tag with the zip tie on the handle of their bag, and have it ready for pickup. Uh, And we offer uh, an all-day pickup with standard service, or we offer a two- to three-hour window for pickup for um, an extra fee for for customers that want a precise pickup, or we allow them to drop it off at any UPS location, uh, which usually in the U.S. is everywhere. So that's how the the first leg uh, goes. And once it's been picked up, they get a confirmation email that's automated from us that lets them know it's been picked up and in transit. And then once it's delivered, they get the same confirmation email letting them know it's been delivered. So a whole automated process from start to finish. So I've got my uh, golf clubs. I've got my golf clubs. I go through the four-step process, um, and I'm going, say, to Miami, to my hotel. Uh, I have to then inform my hotel that the baggage is arriving, right? You, you don't really. I mean, you can do it if you want. What we do is we contact the whole uh, the, the hotel ourselves, uh, and we just make sure that there's no red flags or issues and make sure that the concierge in the front desk is okay with it. Nine times out of ten, they're fine anyway, but we usually like to give a heads up just so they're aware because usually the luggage comes uh, a day before the person checks in. Oh, so you make also sure make sure that the, the, the package is accepted on the other side before you enter into the transaction. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's we want to make sure. And if there is any red flags, we'll let the customer know. Like, for example, Vegas is a good example. Um, any hotel, typically, and some of them charge a lot. They sometimes sometimes they charge up to sixty dollars to hold your bag for one day. So we let the customers know that. This is not a fee for us, but since you're traveling to Vegas in this hotel, they're going to charge you an additional $60 when you go to pick up your luggage. If you're not comfortable with that, then obviously, you know, maybe the service isn't uh, for you. There's no way that we can, you know, negotiate with that hotel at this point to try to get them to not incur that fee for the customer. Now, how do you know what you're transporting is legitimate? I mean, let's... Sure. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. 
Yeah, domestic. Um, I mean, anything that goes uh, domestic or international. I mean, it goes through major couriers, UPS, DHL, FedEx, as examples, and they, you know, typically have X-ray machines and scan everything. Uh, but we also ask our customers. Uh, we let them know that they're only, you know, supposed to, um, you know, send personal effects. And basically, whatever you can and cannot send with a, a major courier like UPS, you can't do with us. So it's the same uh, terms and, and uh, terms of service. So that's for domestic, international. They have to check off a bunch of items that uh, on the customs manifest that tells them if they're sending, you know, um, skis, pens, computers. They check off what they have art supplies. So we know on the paperwork that's what's supposed to be in there. So if it gets to customs, let's say in uh, Italy, and they contact us, and there's an item that's not in there that the customer didn't tell us about, we do our best because uh, we have, you know, dedicated uh, reps and, and agents inside there. Mm-hmm. We'll create the additional paperwork for them, but it does slow it up if they don't send what they say they're sending, it incurs customs fees. So that's kind of a slow up, but that's nine times out of 10, that doesn't happen because we do a good job of making sure that they know what they're allowed and not allowed to send. So, you know, there is no issues when they use the service. Now, what happens in a situation where you lose my luggage? Um, okay, let's say, uh, let's not call it loss. Let's say it's late due to whatever issue uh, not relating to weather. Um, and or a malfunction that's, you know, um, like a plane crashing with your items, what we do is we give... So it's never uh, lost, it's misplaced. I like that. It's it's misplaced, never lost. Uh, It it just takes us longer. Sometimes, you know, um, it's logistics. I'd be a liar to say nothing ever goes wrong. It happens a lot less with us than it does for airlines because of the way we ship and the way we have everything done. But we do an up to $500 money-back guarantee. So, for example, you sent your golf clubs, and they're late. You have to uh, go on the links the next day. Perfect. All you have to do, rent the clubs from the, the, uh, the, the clubhouse, let us know the cost, and we'll reimburse your order for that. Uh, and in addition, we'll reimburse the shipping on that order on top of that until the luggage arrives. So well, they literally been... get free luggage and up to $500 until the luggage arrives. Um, and that's how we, we do our, our uh, you know, peace of mind uh, policy there to, to make customers you know, feel comfortable shipping with us. Brian, what's been the most bizarre request that you've ever had to ship? Most bizarre? I mean, there's a few. but uh, give, me, give me two. Sure, last week, actually. Uh, breast milk and dry ice in a uh, styrofoam container and uh, an outside box. So that was interesting. Uh, and then another one would be... Uh, so who was the recipient? Uh, it was himself. He was traveling with his wife, uh, and I guess they pre-did uh, breast milk from, I think it was New York to Hawaii, um, but he wanted help sending it. Uh, so that was a request uh, that we got through. And the other one I thought was funny, too, uh, a box of precious gemstones from Zimbabwe uh, to the U.S. We, we regretfully uh, did not take that order due to the fact that we weren't comfortable sending those gemstones. <laughs> Yeah, because the insurance on that can be very pricey. Oh, absolutely. And then the origin, yeah. and you know how with all the blood diamonds and things like that, with those sort of situations going on. No, I mean, there's so much stuff we've sent. You know, some of it is not as bizarre. Some of it's cool. I mean, you know, um, bassinet we've sent for a family in the U.K., which was nice. It was a family heirloom. Right. So, you know, it's a good thing. But it's not bizarre. It's just different. You know, typically it's just personal effects like clothing. Wow. And you have a lot of repeat customers? We do. Uh, a lot of our customers are uh, repeat. I believe the, the stat from last month is about 
20% um, of our customers are repeat customers. doesn't mean they come each month. It means they used us last year. They're going to use us this year. So that's great. Uh, and a lot of word of mouth. So once someone loves what we're, we're offering and we've helped their travel plans out and we've alleviated that stress and emotional baggage uh, and physical baggage, they promote us to their friends and family, which is really, really good for us, obviously, since our budget isn't huge for marketing. So you're an entrepreneur. Where do you go from here? I mean, we're 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 strong right now. I mean, we're going uh, you know full throttle each month. We're we're growing. So I think the next steps for us, uh, we're definitely going to create a smartphone app that makes it easier for travelers on the go. Um, we have these new canvas luggage tags that I just got a, a copy of earlier uh, that are coming out next week, which are really cool, uh, lifetime guarantee. So that'll be good for us. Um, you know, we're working on a lot of partnerships. Uh, in the last four weeks, uh, I've been very surprised. We're speaking with some of the largest travel portals, mm-hmm. and uh, tech-based companies that do bookings for a lot of major hotels uh, and different airlines. And we're speaking about integrating lug glass inside there. So for us, uh, it's, you know, those those aspects we're going to focus on as well as, um, you know, adding some cool features onto the website. And hopefully along the way, uh, we continue to find investors. I mean, we're still seeking. Uh, you know, we haven't been able to look too much since we've been so busy uh, with, you know, servicing our customers. But we really are trying to expand this and get this out there. Uh, so we are looking for an investor that wants to be smarter than the sharks and definitely sees the potential of what we're offering. Now, you haven't always been growing. I mean, there have been struggles. And I mean, for us, yeah. Yeah, for, uh, and for you, what would be your advice to budding entrepreneurs and existing entrepreneurs? Just about being, I mean, I guess, you mean about being an entrepreneur and just staying with it? I guess staying with it and, and you know, give us examples of where things haven't always yeah. been as rosy as they seem now. Sure. I mean, you, Because I not everything is an upward slope when you're struggling to get to the top. I mean, there are, you take a few knocks here and there. What about the knocks you've had? It's true. Uh, I've had a few. So, I mean, yeah, it's never give up. I mean, be persistent and be passionate above all else. Uh, if you don't believe in it, there's no point in doing what you do. Uh, and then, you know, and really um, you have to be okay with no one really, you know, supporting the idea. Uh, you just have to trust your gut uh, is my, you know, something I believe in. Uh, and for me, my, my personal journey and for anyone, I guess, that's, you know, looking to uh, triumph over adversity. I mean, I've had a journey from riches to rags to riches again. Um, I use the last riches loosely, but, you know, I'm back on my feet. But uh, I've created many startups, uh, you know, over five, uh, and each one has eventually failed. So uh, for me, you get knocked down, dust yourself off, uh, and then, you know, obviously you, you try to learn as many valuable lessons along the way so you don't repeat that. Um, you know, for me, I think I'm, you know, the poster child for that American dream to some extent. Uh, you know, less than four years ago, uh, I was, you know, living in a cabin in the woods uh, on food stamps uh, with one good shoulder, the other recovering, uh, fighting nature to stay out of the cabin, bees and ants. Uh, I was working at a camp as a dishwasher. And the year before, I was running a large national college shipping service with thousands of customers, a large music tour with huge bands. Uh, and then overnight, it collapsed. Uh, I assumed the company debt, 80000 and I was evicted from my New York City apartment, nowhere to go, and I really had no motivation to do anything. So, you know, I... But you never lost sight of your dream. No, I rebounded. Uh, you know, I got lug less up, and then I got on Shark Tank. And ironically enough, after Shark Tank, Hurricane Sandy hit. We actually had a, a business, uh, you know, issue where we weren't bringing in sales, yet the bills were still coming. So... 
I had to decide to take a, a pay cut and not get paid for four months. And then the show aired, and now we're back. So it's the ebb and flow and the up and down. Uh, but it really, just for me, doesn't mean anything uh, because you got to be willing to fight, you know, to risk it all, uh, to live each week uh, to week, and be prepared for all your sacrifices uh, to not be enough. And the business will probably fail anyway. But you dust yourself off and you come back uh, and you start again. And I think, you know, this isn't a life for everyone, but for those that uh, are able to weather the storm and, you know, keep getting up, it's, uh, you know, I, I love the journey and I hope, you know, eventually this is the company that does it. If not, uh, there'll be another one. But I do feel at this point that we have, you know, some great potential and I'm happy to go all in, even though probably at this time I have maybe less than $85 in my checking account till I get paid. Oh, well, Brian, look, you sound like a comeback kid to me. Um, I'm wishing you good luck. Hope to see you on the stock exchange floor when you go public soon. Uh, I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show, Brian. All right. Have a great day. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Feel free to send in your comments to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the VIP Report or tweet me at VIP on Twitter. And keep your ears open for the next airing of the VIP Jazzwell Report coming soon. Thank you.